Recast, supporting women entrepreneurs in Southern Alberta, with your host, Jenny Bourne. Welcome to Wecast, recorded on Treaty 7 lands, home of the Blackfoot people of the Canadian Plains and the Métis Nation Region 3. Wecast is produced by WeSTEM, the Women Entrepreneurs in STEM program, here to support all women entrepreneurs in rural regions of Southern Alberta. WeSTEM is made possible thanks in part to funding from the Government of Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Strategy through Economic Development Lethbridge. The WeCast podcast is here to amplify the voices and tell the stories of self-identified women entrepreneurs and those who support them across the rural regions of Southern Alberta. Please join us in conversation with women business owners from Southern Alberta as we build community in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. My name is Jenny Bourne, and I am the Senior Program Coordinator for the WeSTEM program and the host of WeCast. Alyssa Borix, our technical producer and WeSTEM's event coordinator, is also here with us. On today's episode, we are excited to welcome two women, Carrie Watson and Jennifer Kuntz, who are successful entrepreneurs individually and who have recently joined forces to embark on a new endeavor together. Jennifer Kuntz is the owner of Karuna Counseling, Inc., She holds a Master's of Social Work degree with a specialization in clinical practice and has worked with Alberta Health Services, AHS, for the past 18 years. Jennifer is currently the Trauma and Resilience Project Facilitator for AHS, Addiction and Mental Health Program, Calgary Zone, which provides mental health and addiction supports to children, youth, adults, seniors, and their families. Before joining the AHS Mental Health Program, Jen worked for 10 years at the AHS Child Development Center in the Cumulative Risk Diagnostic Clinic, formerly the Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Clinic, and the Autism Spectrum Disorder Clinic. She started her social work career in restorative justice, child intervention, and family support for children and disabilities. Jen is passionate about providing accessible, and meaningful mental health and wellness support to all who are seeking it, to find empowerment and to thrive in their lives. Jen practices from a resilience and strength-based perspective that is both motivating and empowering, supporting people to make changes in their lives and improve their sense of well-being. Carrie Watson is the owner of Whispering Equine and holds both Bachelor of Education and Bachelor of Kinesiology degrees. She is also certified with the Professional Association of Equine Facilitated Wellness as both a mentor and practitioner in the Equine Facilitated Learning Professional and Equine Professional designations. Carrie is also a certified Reiki master. As a former high school teacher and coach, Carrie worked with a variety of students over her 10-year career. It was during this time that she witnessed the mental health struggles in the lives of her students and staff members, which is what ultimately led her to pursue a new career in equine-facilitated wellness. When creating Whispering Equine, Carrie was determined to provide youth and adults with an equine-guided experience to help bring awareness to aspects of themselves that may need nurturing and ultimately help lead them to discover their true and authentic potential in life. Carrie uses the healing aspects of nature 
energy work, horse behavior, and herd dynamics of horses as an effective model for building upon and developing inner courage, fostering healthy attachments, clear communication skills, as well as resiliency to life's challenges. Her passion is to empower people of any age to live from their heart by developing a positive horse-human nature-based relationship and connection. Wow. <laughs> so as I mentioned, both of these women are obviously powerhouses individually with a, a palpable passion for mental health and supporting others. But together, Jen and Carrie have come together to embark on a new joint venture and have co-founded and are primary facilitators at the Foothills Wellness Collective. Thank you, Carrie and Jen. I'm sorry our time is up because you're yeah. <laughs> I had so much background to share. Because That's what we both, were saying. <laughs> both done so much. No, but really, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're really excited to have you both share your share your stories. I know I gave your backgrounds, but if there's anything else that you would like to to share with our listeners, please do. And can you tell us how you decided to take your paths into personal business ownership? So in terms of my uh, career in counseling, I um, was kind of back in 2010, I um, got together with a group of like-minded um, therapists and all that worked within, you know, large organizations and really talked about ways in which we wanted to work more independently and having that flexibility to work differently than you can in kind of larger organizations. And so um, kind of through that, we formed a peer consultation group. And then from that peer consultation group, a few of us kind of broke off and created Karuna Counseling. And so over the years, it's kind of expanded and then new members have come and then people have left for life transitions and all sorts of different reasons. And so we kind of developed a, a bit of a niche in terms of a private practice, um, looking at really that attachment piece and the relational piece um, of psychotherapy. And that's really been the focus of most of the work that we've done over the last 10 years privately. So the work you do in your private practice is very different than what you do in the for AHS, for example? Yeah, in terms of the work that I'm doing, I'm doing more project facilitation within AHS as opposed to a clinical psychotherapy role. So it's really nice in terms of diversity and having both that project management and then also being able to, to um, use my clinical skills in the private practice. Right. Okay. What about you, Carrie? Yeah, so I was uh, a teacher in the Calgary Board of Education in the Foothills School Division for just under 10 years and had horses as more of like a hobby and, and didn't really know that that hobby would, uh, would lead to some career change paths. But uh, it was sort of during the last few years of my teaching career that I was really getting burnt out from the stresses of the job and coaching and every teacher out there will be able to attest to it. <laughs> Um, and so I was kind of turning to my horses without really knowing it as sort of um, a time away from the stresses of everything that was going on and was feeling so good when I was leaving them. And I didn't actually even know that the equine facilitated wellness industry existed until I was kind of at my final straw with the, you know, some health challenges stuff in my teaching career still and uh, was doing some searching for what I could do for a career change and came across it. And there was a trainer, Sue McIntosh at Healing Hooves up in Cremona. And that's where I first realized that there was, an, there was actually a thing that you can partner people with horses for um, healing and growth and learning opportunities. 
So I kind of looked at the training schedule and realized that this was really something I was interested in and kind of had to make a decision fairly quickly to resign from my profession, which was very scary financially, but also uh, just kind of like not knowing what kind of the industry you're getting into. And, and so I went from a employer or sorry, an employee for many years of my life since I you know had my first job to an entrepreneur really fast. And not really even knowing, like, I knew nothing about business planning or anything like that. And so it was a big learning curve, which we, I'm sure we'll talk about a bit more later. But I love it. And um, I love sharing everything that I know about horses and that they've taught me with others for personal growth, learning, and some healing in different ways as well. Since meeting Jen, uh, talking more about the psychotherapy stuff that she does, um, our attachment work that we do in both of our practices just blend really well. And so that's where we kind of ended up thinking, well, why don't we be entrepreneurs together in the new venture? <laughs> but yeah, it was it was sort of just a, a timely thing. I think I'd been thinking about a change for quite a while. And it was just sort of the, I would say even like the last year of my career, teaching career that I sort of was like, okay, I need to do something different. And my horses were kind of calling and teaching that. So it was kind of cool. <laughs> it's nice when you know, when you yeah, have, it was, you have it that was passion. Scary. You know exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm curious though. So Carrie, you started out with partners, right? Or sorry, Jen, you started with partners. Carrie, did you do this alone? Yeah, I did it alone, partly um, from an insurance perspective too. Like, um, and, and I think from a financial perspective, like when you work with two people, you have to charge more so people can make an income <laughs> together. So we're having to navigate that, you know, for our services right now as well. But in the industry, in the, sorry, in the association that I'm certified with, we have a basic training, like, you know, roles and ethics and stuff that you do within your practice, but everybody does it a lot differently mm -hmm. uh, in how they actually provide the service for their clients. So they have, we have different niches. Some people don't like, you know, some people are more comfortable with certain populations than others, um, some age groups, things like that. So I happen to work with uh, school groups that come out um, with some of their at-risk youth. And so I kind of get the most best of both worlds I work with teaching, you know, in with around horses and then about um, personal growth and learning opportunities. So it's been really a blessing in that sense too. I think, yeah, it's a very different journey yes. when you're making all those decisions alone. As It is, to yeah. <laughs> a partner or a team, I guess, Carrie, yeah. you had a few people, or sorry, not Carrie. It says Carrie on the bottom of your screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just saying that. Sorry, Jen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and we were all sole proprietors, but we came together to like have a space and rent a space and, and all of those kinds of things. But we all run independent practices, but kind of under um, Karuna at one point. And then everyone's now branched off into different names and different niches in terms of their practice so oh interesting mm -hmm. growth yeah yes <laughs> definitely okay I'm very curious about this so Carrie you're a, a former high school teacher and Jen you have um, you're a psychotherapist right and um, for me this has nothing to do with your business but I'm actually uh, I have my bachelor's of education and I've worked yeah. in public school systems and my sister has her master's of social work and she is a director for a sexual assault clinic, but has her own personal thing. When I was doing my teacher training, I took restorative justice. Yeah. I, like I am a certified restorative justice person and practitioner. And when I told my sister that she was shocked and said, well, how do you know about restorative? Because for <laughs> her, it was just in the, you know, mental health world. Right, but right. And there's so much overlap there. So 
for the two of you, what do you think the relationship is between education and mental health wellness? I'll speak mm. first, just from a teacher. Um, we've actually, we talked a lot about that on our staff at staff meetings and things like that as well, because um, throughout the school year, we honestly spend more time with parents' um, children than they do, especially if they're at home and they're sleeping. We see when things change from a mental health perspective, we see changes in there, everything from like hygiene, behavior changes, social withdrawal, um, attention focus changes, things like that. And so um, not all of the teachers, not all teachers are like trained to identify and, and um, notice and know what to do, even if they do. So I would hope, I don't know if since then, I haven't been at the school board for a long time, but um, I think they were looking into get some program changing. Um, to be able to get some teacher training on what to look for, what to do, and then how to refer type of thing as well. The guidance counselors definitely took the brunt of it because the teachers would just refer to guidance. But um, there's so much more that needs support from not just at the school, but at home. And so I think that's mm -hmm. part of Jen's AHS work is trying to work with community partners like school boards and things like that to um, support them, but mostly the children when they're um, kind of first showing the signs of mental health changes. So. Yeah, there's a number of programs um, within our addiction and mental health portfolio that work with teachers, um, with community partners, with um, physicians to provide that mental health literacy piece. And I think that's, again, why it's such a natural fit between Carrie and I, because we see the importance of, of education and that psychoeducation kind of piece. And I think, you know, more and more in the media, we're seeing, you know, that that mental health affects everyone. And um you know, I think the stat right now is one in five people will have a significant mental health struggle in their life that will affect their daily life mm -hmm. um, or impact their daily life. And so the more we can kind of get get that information out in the public and have it in, in kind of, you know, on social media, on just media, the less stigma there will be in terms of accessing support. And people will have find easier ways to get to the support with that decrease in stigma, too. So I think the education piece is so huge um, and we're both very passionate about it mm -hmm. from both kind of the education perspective as well as the therapy perspective. So I'm curious, Carrie, your education background and Jen, your like project management background, do they inform your approach to dealing with your clients? In terms of like a facilitation type of thing or how yeah, you when, Yeah, how you, how you plan yeah, or think... interact. Yeah, I think Jen and I, I mean, she can speak to it in a minute, but I would definitely say our previous, like our skill sets from like an when we were, when I was teaching or doing presentations and, um, you know, obviously with Jen's uh, therapeutic experiences and then the project stuff now, like, I feel like we are very, um, and this is not being egotistical, <laughs> but we have a lot of previous life and career experience to offer pretty meaningful and like well thought out programming experiences to not just support the healing, but in terms of like delivery and, and making it meaningful, because there's a lot of, um, unfortunately, like my bit, my industry is not regulated. And so there's a lot of good hearted people out there that are not, that are trying to do things that sometimes ethically aren't great for the horse or the people sometimes. And so that's a big passion of mine too, is to use some of my previous skill sets to educate the like the general public about like equine facilitated wellness and then what we're creating as well so that it does come across mm. <laughs> like a strong uh, programming and meaningful programming and um I guess mm. just to reinforce and, and use some of the things that we've already learned from our previous um careers but also just our internal personal skill sets I think too 
That's great. Yeah, I, when you leave one profession or one job and go to another yeah. and it's not that you, it's a transition, right? It totally you're taking is. all those skills with you. That's yeah. it's good when you're not leaving it behind. Well, so even uh, Jen and I, because of her project facilitation and teaching, like we're both very comfortable, like talking in front of people. Like that's one challenge. And sometimes in my, in our industry, like in the wellness and the equine industry, sorry, is a lot of people have really good like one-on-ones, but it's really tough doing group work or, or presenting and things like that. And so what's one thing I like to support when I do the mentorship is getting, um, offering some like facilitation skills, like never mind with horses, just the people side of things, because I can make or break your the experience or people's experience when they're with you. Right. So. When I think the project facilitation and really the network that I've been fortunate to be able to create with different partners has really kind of led me to see the gaps. So, you know, if I was insulated and just working in my AHS work and just doing kind of that clinical piece, you don't necessarily see all the different gaps that exist. And so talking to community agencies, talking to foundations, talking with the university around research, it's really from a project perspective and really focusing around the trauma piece has opened up kind of more insights into what is missing and what is needed outside of what we see in an everyday kind of clinical kind of basis. So that's been really helpful too. And I think bringing that lens into the work that we're doing to combine our work together Mm -hmm. has been really helpful too. That's awesome. And Carrie, you started off by saying not to be egotistical, but there's nothing wrong with being egotistical. (laughs) You do not need to be humble. You're both doing fantastic things and you should you should uh, toot your own horn well thank you yeah. <laughs> no, we really we both really enjoy and I like mm-hmm. I've always I think I, I mean I really enjoy teaching I love like the teaching aspect but I think I think where I want to do teaching is more the from the entrepreneurial and with the equine and the the healing aspects mm-hmm. versus from like more of the institutional type of thing but I love yeah I love what I do and it's very not many people can say that they like what they do <laughs> someday mm-hmm. so that's so true. That's very yeah. true. So, okay. So you both had your own personal journeys with your business ownership individually. Did either of you face any obstacles while you were building your own individual business? And as a woman-led business, did that create any challenges for you? Sure. In terms of, I think from the therapy world, it is heavily dominated by women um, in healthcare as well. And so in, I would say in higher up leadership positions, there's still disparity between gender roles and in, in, in those higher kind of positions. But from, from a gender perspective, I don't think that I've felt like there's been any obstacles that way. In terms of starting a business, most people that I know that are in private practice are also working for larger agencies. So the balance between, you know, working either full-time or almost full-time and then trying to run a thriving kind of busy business is, is quite challenging. And so those have been more of the obstacles is where do you find the time to do both and to do both well. That's a really good point. So you've been working full-time continuously? I've been full-time or uh, four days a week. So then I have one day um, dedicated to doing private practice. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. What about you? So. Carrie, you gave up your day job to, yeah, it was to go full, full gangbusters. So. Yeah. So the, I guess Jen and I were talking about that the other day and literally from the day that, you know, that we got our first job when we were, you know, 14 years old or whatever, 
we've always been an employee where you have decisions made. You literally just do your job that you're trained for and you don't have to worry about like the accounting, the marketing, the, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, so the challenge for me, was a big learning curve where I had a steady income. I knew what was coming every month to when you get a business going, you have to worry about everything from how am I going to get a paycheck? I'm, and now when I'm sick or I'm traveling, I don't get paid for that. Like there's a lot of challenges from like a financial perspective and, and how do you get clients like from marketing and, you know, like I didn't know any of that. And I didn't, I, you know, in hindsight, I should have known about we stem before or taken a business course before making this decision, but I was following my intuition and, uh, and it worked out well, but I think some of the biggest challenges were, I guess a lot of they're just the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any concerns in terms of, um, you know, male, female challenges. Again, my, our industry, the equine facilitated wellness is again, primarily dominated by women. I think a lot of them come from the mental health field or from a healing or a learning. And so it's the, the nurture nature type of thing that come from them. So it's actually kind of exciting when you see a male doing the training to get into the industry. I have a friend that's out in Medicine Hat and he's going to be working more with veterans and he's like kind of the token male. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's nice to be around other like-minded women, uh, again, with different, coming from different backgrounds, from the human context, adding in the passion and the joint love of horses to, you know, better people's lives. So, yeah, I think the biggest challenge was just trying to get clients and not knowing really how. <laughs> and, you know, some of the stuff that we learned in the business course we did with you guys, that would have been very helpful uh-huh. <laughs> 10 years so, ago. <laughs> so what did you do? How did you get your clients? Honestly, well, I tried a lot of things, Googling what I should do. And yeah, so I tried like- the best place to start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I had like done some ads on like our local newspaper and like Kijiji. And I did do a Facebook. Yes, I did do a Facebook. That was like a little bit later. But honestly, it was somehow again, sort of through a sequence of events, I got connected with a, a reporter, a journalist from the Calgary Herald. And I got to be a part of her documentary series on supporting people with special needs and different services. And so it was that. And then another sort of media thing with, I think it was global, a little sort of side little video thing that they came out did. And so it kind of through that type of media got out there that I exist. And so people reached out to either help volunteer or to try the programs that I was doing. Um, I was then also able to go and do presentations with like different school boards, populations I uh, with the Child Advocacy Center, things like that. Again, th- those were like for free presentations, but just to kind of spread the word that I exist. And um, and then from there, truly, it was just word of mouth. And, and it's been the best. I would say that honest, you get the right type of clients and it's people's testimonials that kind of bring new clients uh, mm-hmm. for you as well. So that's lucky. It is lucky, but and it's not like, you know, I'm sure a traditional uh, approach to business, but um, I, do, I really believe that the right people come your way, whether to um, network with. We have, I've done a lot of networking, I should say, since I first started. And again, just meeting like-minded people that kind of open up new doors to kind of, like, it takes work for sure. And I do presentations, like at teachers conventions and things on our industry and my work as well. So like I said, it's educating that our industry exists that I exist as well, like, cause my programming is a little different than others. Um, and then what Jen and I are creating together now is even more kind of unique in some ways. So again, just sharing, sharing that there's out there. And then obviously social media, when that kind of got going more was helpful as well. So 
Yeah. yeah. So Jen, Jen, you mentioned the world of therapy is also very female do- dominated. So when you were starting Karina counseling, did you find a supportive network that you could turn to for support when you were starting out? Yeah, I think that the smaller group that we had in terms of a clinical consultation group was a really nice support and people were in different, some had been doing private practice for years, others were just starting. And so really learning lessons through just other people's experiences, it was really helpful. Um, And then trial by error and, you know, you learn and (laughs) when you're doing lease agreements and how that looks like and who you lease to and how, you know, all of those things are just all life lessons that I think you need to go through in terms of really getting that learning and and understanding kind of what works and what doesn't. And so I think that that was definitely more of a trial and error than anything else, but I hadn't taken any business courses either. and so. I think Carrie and I were kind of at the same (laughs) spot when we both started that we had, you know, desire and passion and knew that we, you know, had something to offer, but the actual business pieces and the financial pieces were not at the forefront (laughs) at the beginning. (laughs) So when you were figuring all of that out, was it just talking to your colleagues or Googling information? That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. There's, there are a lot of business supports out there now you can turn to. (laughs) I think we've both done a lot of like, it was like we do and then reflect and go, ah, no, we're going to change that next time. And I do, I do want to add, um, just acknowledge, like when I left teaching, I was very, very, in a very lucky situation that, um, my one aunt and uncle, I kind of moved out closer to where I wanted to live and stuff. And we ended up kind of, my partner and I at the time wanted to be there um, as a sort of transition point to buy our own acreage to kind of get this going. And um, yeah. long story short, we ended up staying here. And um, so I had like a lot of support from family uh, in terms of like, like just providing different like infrastructure, like my my uncle ended up building the arena for us to work out of. And, and so if I didn't have that sort of situations, the financial piece would have been right on the forefront for me because I would have had to go get loans and and all that stuff. And I ended up, you know, using some other funds that I had from uh, house sales and things like that. So I didn't have debt and stuff that would have put that financial piece even more at the forefront for me. Um, So there is some, again, like synchronistic things that played out to support that, but definitely if I knew, and I guess we didn't even have the thought to look for business supports like you guys or other things that are out there Um, again, because that's not even when you're in education or the mental health, that's not what you're, we're not taught about that in school, right? I mean, it's a little bit of ignorance, I guess, maybe too, but her naivety, but um, yeah, so now we do, we're very, we're starting from the get-go with our new venture and um, with your guys's, with WeSTEM's support, it's definitely been a really great conversation for us and to start off, not more, I wouldn't say more positive, but just stronger from the get-go without making the mistakes that we did in the past on our individual, mm-hmm. um, you know, businesses. Yeah, it's great to talk to somebody who's had the experience or knows some of the policies and laws and can send you down the right path for sure. And we're excited that you came to us. So yes, and I think it's all about relationships. And, you know, I think about even the space that I rented, it was from a friend who I played soccer with for 20 years. And so it's all about your network Mm -hmm. and the people that are kind of that surround you and that you have in your life. And having an income still coming in from AHS, there wasn't the financial pressures. And so, you know, I think I, if there were more of the financial pressures, I probably would have been seeking out more support in terms Mm -hmm. of the business, but being able to, again, talk to people that are in business, 
we leased a space from a friend who was in insurance. And so, I mean, she grew her insurance company from the ground up 20 years ago. And so being able to talk to her about, you know, the, the pitfalls and the things that she's learned along the way has been really helpful too. Well, and I think a lot of people when they're starting out, they, they have that question, right? Should I do this on the side? Is this a side mm-hmm. hustle or like Carrie, am I ready to walk <laughs> away and just, you know, put everything into this? And that's, it's really hard. It's a hard decision. So I think it's very interesting to have you both here because you, you approached it so differently, right? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, life circumstances, your network yeah. play such a, a large role in that, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. So now you are, because you're not busy enough, you're starting a yeah. new venture <laughs> to, together. Please tell us more about that. And I'm very curious how you did come together. It all really started as I was walking my dogs past Carrie's property <laughs> and looking at the horses and being really curious about the horses. And so that was back last summer. We just moved out to our acreage just across the field from Carrie's uh, two years ago. And so, you know, every day I'd walk by and I'd see the horses and I'd be curious about them. And it just happened that uh, one day when I was walking, Carrie's aunt stopped and we were just chatting on the road. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, my my niece runs uh, equine facilitated learning programs. And if you'd be interested, just, you know, send her an email and that was pretty much how it started. So I sent an email just more for myself in terms of um, learning that horsemanship piece and that personal growth piece. And so I reached out and we kind of connected that way. And from kind of the first time we met, started talking about, you know, how the synchronicities between our work and, and the trauma piece. Um, I think that was part that Carrie wanted to kind of learn more about. And so we talked more about that. And so she shared resources kind of from the equine world and I did from the mental health world. And then um, we both have an interest in research. And so I, I have some connections at the university that uh, I was talking to about, well, maybe we could combine the, psychother- the equine psychotherapy piece into research because there's not a whole lot of research out there. And so then that was kind of the basis. And then it just kind of has grown from there. So Jen, which, which university? University of Calgary. Oh, Calgary. Okay. The Faculty of Social Work. Yeah. So have you, have you done research and published papers with them? I have in my AHS role in terms of trauma. And so I've had the, you know, the opportunity and very fortunate opportunity to, to work with a few of the different faculties, as well as different chairs, like mental health chairs throughout the the work that I've been doing in mental health. And so have those, again, those relationships and, and partnerships with people. And they're very interested in looking at the work that we're doing and doing some more formalized research and, you know, applying for grants and things like that. So we're just in the beginning discussions of that, but we're very excited about where it, you know, might lead. Excellent. Part of the, when Jen reached out initially to connect about the horse pieces, one mm-hmm. of our first couple of our sessions, I was, I usually just explain just people in general, like that the concept of our programming is the, the personal growth, learning and healing aspects can come from building a relationship with the horse. And so there's a lot of what we call like attachment work that there's a lot of concerns that people have mental health struggles or just, you know, their own internal struggles comes from like attachment concerns. And so we can, through the program, I was already kind of doing that with my training, but then just talking with Jen about her work and we're like, oh my God, there's so many similarities in terms of what we're saying just offering it in a different way. And so that kind of started. And I always, before I met her, kind of like I would say maybe in the spring last year, I was having like an internal 
yearning to learn more um, and just kind of look into like the neurobiology of what's actually happening in people when they're in the presence of horses. I, I work with a lot of energy um, healing modalities and recognize there's changes, but it's hard to put that into sort of like a quantitative form. Mm-hmm. And so we've done a little bit of research on other ones. There's a couple of studies done in the States already with horses and people doing some meditative and heart math type things. And, um, but I'm really drawn to not necessarily proving to people, but just to, to explain that there's actual chemistry changes happening in our body and in our brain when we're sometimes just even in the presence of the horses. Uh, but also with some of the, you know, the like mindfulness, yeah, mindfulness work and, and sort of more of like the human side of things that we're doing with them, with the dialogue. So that's sort of when we reached out to one of her, her colleagues. And it's just, again, just in the beginning, we just need to meet with them to kind of explain more of our thoughts and, you know, timing. And then there's obviously some other parts on there and that would take time as well, but we're both really excited and the, and the researchers seemed really excited to learn more about it as well. So it'll be mm-hmm. in time to come. It will come. It'll happen. That's exciting. So on a, a non-business related question, yeah. I'm just curious, the chemical changes with interacting with the horses, would they be yep. very similar to the chemical changes that one experiences with their bonding of their pets, like their cats yes. and dogs and that kind yes. of thing? Yes. Yeah. And so it's that, you know, the animal assisted therapies that you would expect to see with whether it be a cat or a dog or a horse or but it's the being able to measure those. And so it's the mm-hmm. neurotransmitters, kind of the cortisol levels, the oxytocin levels, like those types of things we really want to be able to measure and to be able to kind of show that there are those changes and the heart rate variability is another one that is a measurable biological or physiological kind of change in the body. And so those yeah. are the ones that we're really hoping to kind of focus on and see if we can get like a pre post. So, you know, before they're coming into the program and just doing some, some research around that. That is very cool. If you ever need volunteer subjects, you just let <laughs> yes. me know. <laughs> we will at some point. Yes, exactly. yes. Be yeah. more than happy yeah. to participate. Exactly. Okay. So Foothills Wellness Collective, then, mm-hmm. um, what's the goal? Is it to do research? Is that what you're hoping to offer? That's that's one aspect for sure by okay. combining, but we've actually created kind of a new program of offering called it's EEP, Equine Eco Psychotherapy where we're combining both of us well, a lot of people naturally are drawn to nature forest water rivers things like that without really knowing that it's actually helping from the same sort of physiological levels of change and so we have been doing some uh, training and and some pro- program development with incorporating my existing equine piece gen psychotherapy pieces and then adding in the nature piece to help facilitate it and just offering it a different like a less um I don't want to say intimidating, but less clinical type setting where it's more mm-hmm. natural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we're doing that. We're creating some workshops and some programming to offer individuals as in groups and some professional development as well for to eventually, I, like one of my goals is to, with our work is to try to have a bunch of, you know, other um, individuals learn about some of our collaborations and how they could build that into their professional practices, um, whether it's with equine or just from as a regular psychotherapist that wants something different to add into their work too. So, and again, we're both big on education. Like Jen earlier was talking about the gaps that she's seen. There's a lot, even in my industry and uh, in the education field, there's a lot of holes where things, uh, and it's just, everybody's so busy. There's like, like lots of old policies and procedures that need, that could change, but takes Mm -hmm. time. And so we're just trying to 
create something uh, like there's other people out there doing similar type of things, but for us in our location, we're trying to create some uh, unique experiences to be, I guess, like complementary. Yeah. And really based on like trauma informed principles and attachment based principles. And so I think there's bits and pieces out there, but the bringing together of that with the equine it is a very unique kind of offering as well as the nature-based work. And I think, you know, I, I've been in kind of the therapy world for a long time and it's been, you know, one-on-one in office spaces and there is a limit to what you can do in that kind of space, especially with kids and kids want to be outside. They want to be doing things. They're active. They're, you know, naturally seeking different things. And so sitting in an office, look, staring at an adult is fairly intimidating. And there's only so much you can actually get out of that particular interaction. And so being really moved to do more than just offering that more traditional talk therapy type of interaction for kids, but also across the lifespan through to the geriatric population. I think that's, you know, I think the pandemic has led me more into thinking about, you know, the isolation of seniors and I work across the lifespan in mental health. So I work with some of the geriatric kind of population as well. And Um, learning from long-term care facilities, what that's been like with the pandemic and all of the loss and kind of grief that has come. And we're really not equipped very well as a society or as an organization to really deal with that. And I think that's a part that Carrie and I have also talked about is that there's the grief and loss outside of the pandemic, but really focusing on the pandemic is kind of this next wave of crisis that we are facing. And And I think we're seeing it from a public health system in terms of the mental health, the number of mental health referrals that we're seeing. It's we've never seen anything like it in terms of the demand for services. And so really bringing that piece into the work that we're doing, because it's so key and central to, you know, wellness and personal growth. I just want to add to you that the reason why Jen and I chose the um, word collective in our new title, the Foothills Wellness Collective, is that not just because we're combining our own existing skill sets and passions and knowledge, it's more that we would like to be able to on the road to collaborate or bring in other facilitators or therapists that have uh, maybe some unique types of healing modalities that fall in alignment with what we're doing and, and even add or contribute or, you know, uh, teach us things as well, but also just to end up with like sort of a group feeling underneath the the collective title. So we're starting with us right now. We know there's a lot of great people out there doing really unique and meaningful practices. And so once we get going, we'll be reaching out and, and also people, I know people will find their way to us as well and, uh, and be able to collaborate from there. So we talked about, you know, any obstacles that you may have faced individually starting your businesses, but now you're wiser, you've been through it right before, and now you're embarking on a a new business. So have you faced any unique obstacles this time? Okay. So, well, (laughs) the reason we ended up finding WeSTEM is because we, when we first started talking about collaborating ideas, we both recognized there's like a very large need for funding support for individuals that maybe were on wait lists for public health, but also needed something more in the meantime, but couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that even with the schools that come out, the funding's being cut from the school board, so they can't afford um, extra supportive um, programming like that for kids that are struggling as well. So one of our initiatives was to look to create a nonprofit initially as a business structure. And we, in theory, were like, yes, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and we didn't realize actually how big of an endeavor it is. We were, were kind of on our way. And then through taking the Intro to Business program with you guys, 
we learned, well, actually, I think it was, we were still kind of going through thinking that. And then towards the end, um, mm-hmm. after doing some of the business canvas modeling and hearing from others, some of the advisors, just posing questions that made us kind of think that mm, maybe we should look into some other alternatives to start with, just to be able to have a little bit more control over what we're actually doing, some of the finances, things like that. So our goal still down the road would be able to, to have a nonprofit, but we're actually going to look to partner with some existing ones in the meantime, while still doing, we've incorporated, so we're just a traditional for-profit business right now, just mm-hmm. to get things going. Well, I think it was very, it was so valuable to reach out to some of the advisors that you uh, sent our way, uh, just to talk through some of it and some of the benefits of being a nonprofit, but as a startup some of the real big challenges that would lie ahead, starting with that model. And so I think through talking to a number of different people, both from that you connected us with through WeSTEM, as well as through our own kind of private, you know, personal networks, we were able to kind of make that decision that we would start off as a for-profit, but with always kind of keeping in mind, how do we make our services accessible, equitable, to anyone that needs mental health support and is looking for mental health support. And that's being in the public system, knowing the wait times and knowing some of the restrictions, you can't continue to see a therapist for forever in the public system, nor should you, but being able to have, know that you have access to support when you need it in a very timely kind of way is very therapeutic in and of itself. And I think that's a piece that I've been able to create my own private practice and we're hoping to kind of continue on and and bring it into the work that we do through the Foothills Wellness Collective. Working in the different clinics that I've worked in, um, seeing that there isn't um, equitable access and that is such a a strong belief that I have and has been from as a child, I think is a piece that we really want to keep central, even with creating a for-profit to start with. But it's a for-profit social enterprise. It's not just a yeah a regular business. It is a social enterprise. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay. <laughs> well, well, that's good. That's great. I know that Carrie, for your marketing, you took an unconventional route, yes, route <laughs> there. Um, but here you seem to have quite a target market, right? You want to be able to reach people who maybe wouldn't think they have access to this kind of these kind of services, right? So do you have a plan of how you will target those audiences to market to them to let them know you're you're there? Well, I think we've done it again, it's through word of mouth and our networks. And so, you know, we've started off with some talking to some different agencies and just letting them know that this is kind of what we're wanting to offer and and then trying to develop partnerships through through different agencies. I think that's been our main um, approach to to targeting. I mean, there's some foundations that we also, I work with within my AHS role who are really focused on trauma and resilience. And that's a big piece that we're wanting to incorporate as well. Um, That's core to to the work that we do. And so seeing if there's some opportunities within those different foundations to partner with so that there could be some scholarships maybe available or, um, you know, being able to support maybe a, a group coming out, whether it be through another nonprofit. So we've kind of playing with different possibilities and just really with talking to the different people that we know that work in social serving agencies has been really the our strategy at this point. Yeah, that's great. Do you work with um, or reach out to family doctors for referrals and that kind of thing? 
And we haven't to this point. I think there that is a great network. And with the PCNs, I think in Calgary, at least, and I think throughout Alberta, there are different levels of PCNs. Uh, and I should know what PCN stand for, but I, I was just gonna <laughs> I'm at a loss right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a collective group of doctors that didn't have access to different services. And so there's the Foothills. I know in Calgary, there's a Foothills PCN. Mosaic PCN. So there's different ones who focus on different things, um, depending on what it is in their communities that they're serving and what the, the needs are. And so I think that is definitely an area and a group that that we could reach out to once we're kind of ready. We're yeah. still in that startup and just not quite ready to launch. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting we, all your ducks in a row. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a lot of potential client populations that we're looking to to serve. And I, and just, again, I'm currently working with this, some school boards around Calgary as well, but again, seeing that their funding's changing and I've done some, I haven't worked on on a grant proposal myself, but I've written letters in support of grant applications and things. And so one of my other approaches would be to work with a school board to receive grants for not just equine programming, but money to be able to support other alternative um, programming to support mental health concerns with their students. And, and I do feel staff as well. They're, they're really burnt out, um, not just from the career, but just from what the pandemic's created for them and their jobs, their families, and then also managing their students and supporting them at school as well on top of their own. So there's a lot of need out there. <laughs> I remember when I was doing my bachelor's of education, what was said then was most teachers leave the profession within the first five years. Because of of the burnout. Yeah. It's very difficult. Like one of my biggest challenges, and I'm very more mindful of it now, but it's really difficult to find a good life work balance. Uh, And like I taught a lot of phys ed and coached and as well. So there's, Mm -hmm. and I loved it, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of extracurricular stuff and time away from your families and from your personal time to, to do your work with your career. And so that's just what you sign up for when you do it, but it really does wear on you over time. And I think one thing that hit me is I, I had my horses at that like sort of towards the end of the career. So I was paying board at the time because I didn't live on an acreage. And I think I saw my horse once in one month and that killed me financially. It bothered me that I was like yeah. paying for this, but also I was like, my, I never get to see my horse. Like it was very hard on me emotionally. Uh-huh. So that was sort of a little spur to you that was like, oh, I'm not getting to see my, my dogs enough, my animals and my partner. And yeah, it was, it was a, it was a challenge. So Definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's lots out there that need to be supported through like not just education and, and uh, like every profession is struggling for sure. But yeah, um, and I think that's one of the future directions that we're hoping to kind of go in is, I mean, we, we want to do the one on one kind of individual work, but also really looking at professional development and personal kind of wellness and growth, mm-hmm. those kind of opportunities for whoever, maybe corporate sports teams education, but really developing more of a workshop, kind of that retreat model to be able to do that too. That's great. So it is the Foothills Wellness Collective. So Mm -hmm. are you hoping that you will bring in more practitioners or more services through this collective in the future? Yeah. Yeah. That's our kind of our bigger plan is we're starting with Jen and I, but I think we'd like to kind of connect with some facilitators or therapists or other practitioners that kind of offer their services in a similar like-minded way and obviously with a passion as well because what we're creating what we do isn't like there's a lot of psychotherapists out there but there's also a lot of approaches that wouldn't really fit with the attachment pieces that we're doing which is fine it just serves a different population but we want to kind of have like um, 
a similar mindset with what we're offering. Like, I didn't even know there's a thing called horticulture therapy where gardening is therapy. And there's people that do that as a service. So I was like, that would be amazing one day to have a horticulture therapist <laughs> type of thing. So I, I feel like as we move more into like our active programming and stuff as well, that those people will kind of really trust that they'll fall into alignment with us and we'll come across their path or hear of them or they'll reach out type of thing. And then we'll kind of make a, a plan of attack from there. Um, so we're still That's kind of exciting. winging it a little bit, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but I think, uh, you know, we've had the, the, the training with you guys for a basic structure to kind of reframe everything around. And I do, I really do believe in kind of being flexible and just kind of going with the flow with, in terms of new opportunities and then taking what I call like inspired action at those point, when you get presented mm-hmm. with something that seems to go a little better in terms versus doing a lot of legwork and then in the wrong direction type of yeah. thing. So, well, yeah. and I know people's needs change, right. Yes. And you know, the, the culture we live and work in changes that kind of thing. Yeah. But are there any best practices that you've learned as business owners in your other businesses that have helped you in developing your new business plan? Well, in terms of facility, just the behind the scenes stuff is stay mm-hmm. on top of all your paperwork, your bookkeeping. Don't go to like receipts into a shoebox, like keep stay organized. <laughs> but in terms of uh, facilitation, I think I, I kind of like you're saying the needs change. So I think just really be flexible and even like what your programming might look like, your services or your goods, like just to stay on top of the mm-hmm. what the market's desiring. And that that market research piece that we did with you guys was really interesting and really helpful in terms of just saying like, is there really a need for what we want to do and what other people are doing? And there, there is other people out there doing similar type of concepts, but again, it's like location, the different markets, like how we're offering it, I think would be different than some of these other practices that are doing the same, like nature, like maybe nature pieces, but yeah. And there's, you know, there's niches out there for lots of different services. And I think, you know, Jen and I might have a great program, but we can't service 9 million people. So we're going to get the draw the people that, you know, are in alignment with what we're offering and uh, believe in what we're doing. And, and there'll be other people that can service other provide services for other people that are more in alignment with them. So when awesome. I think that primary the market research, that would be something that really stood out for me in, in the learning that we took away the business canvas and the market research, those two together were really invaluable and, and being able to then continue. I think the other lesson is to continue with market research. So it's not one and done, but things, as you you know said, things mm-hmm. change. And so being able to kind of keep up with that. And I think from the work that we've done and, and the connections that we have, we knew that there was a need for mental health supports like that. That's not, but doing some of the digging into like stats Canada and some of the reports that are available from them, it really highlighted the unmet needs um, and mental health needs that were pre-pandemic and now post-pandemic, or I guess we're not post-pandemic, but wherever we are in the pandemic. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But what we might see post-pandemic as well, I guess, that's really then given us the quantitative kind of uh, numbers behind what we knew qualitatively, I guess, as practitioners in the field. That's good. I'm glad we were useful. I'm glad you were useful. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a couple more questions. You have both worked for the paycheck, you know, the the weekly or biweekly paycheck, and you've both been business owners. So what do you like about being an entrepreneur? I would say I really enjoy the sense of freedom in terms of scheduling and being able to do things when I when I desire to versus being stuck in a time frame. 
Yeah. And being able to think, not only think outside the box, but able to modify things without going through a bunch of like policies and procedures to try something different or offer something different that you can mm-hmm. just, as long as it's, you know, in my mind, like ethically and morally sound to do that you can try it. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, it's not going to work and you try something different. But when you're in sort of a working for an employer, you can't always do that necessarily depending on the industry. And so I like the, I would say the freedom and flexibility to do this sounds like dumb, but what I want, when I oh, want, yeah. <laughs> not at all. Flexibility is good. And yeah. I'm glad that you threw in within ethical and moral framework. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. What about you, Jen? Anything different? For me, it's definitely being able to be creative and innovative in ways. More recently, I've been really interested in design thinking and the way in which bringing design thinking into change management outside mm-hmm. of kind of more traditional change management structures. And so, and I'm, I do that as part of my role within AHS. But when I compare it to the work that we're doing is the pace in which we can work because we're two people making decisions and the creativity that we kind of generate and the innovation to implement things can just happen at such different a different pace. And I think that is inspiring to me. It gives me a lot of energy. And that's the biggest piece, I think, for entrepreneurship for me is being able to do that. Okay, one last question. There's a lot that we could pull out from, from our discussion today. But if you could give just one, one piece of advice to a woman who's thinking of starting her own business or starting her own business in health and wellness, what is the, the one piece of advice that you would offer? Well, I would say if you have a passion for something, just try it. What that looks like and, and, you know, the steps it takes to actually bring it to actualization or fruition. There's a lot of pieces for everybody that's different, but I think you just have to try it. There's one thing I'm learning is like, I don't want to have regrets. And so there's things that we still have to learn, but um, yeah, like I, everything I do now in my life comes from passion and it hasn't let me down yet. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome advice. What about you, Jen? Absolutely that. And then also have the backing of a good business plan and structure. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that would be the the piece that uh, I think we have in spades is passion. And the piece that we are bringing along on this journey, I think, is then the support from WeSTEM and and people who are in the, our entrepreneurs in the business world. The networking is just so key to talk to people. And I think even when we were doing the intro to business course, just hearing from other women that were started and started at different places and had great success. And so that, that I think was just, again, it's invaluable. Passion and a little bit of organization. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Getting a a business plan, look, going through the value proposition, it actually saves you a lot of time. It does. (laughs) That's true. Thank you both so much for for sharing, for sharing your your personal journeys. And I wish you great success with Foothills Wellness Collective and continued success with Karuna. Am I saying it wrong? Yes. No, Karuna Counseling and Whispering Equine. I know you're both doing amazing things. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate the opportunity and yeah, yeah, love to help others wherever we can. We want to hear from you. 
Is there a question that you'd like us to answer on our next podcast? Send it in to westem at chooselethbridge.ca. WeCast is a production of the Women Entrepreneurs in STEM program. WeSTEM is made possible thanks in part to funding from the Government of Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Strategy. For more information, visit our website at westem.ca or contact westem at chooselethbridge.ca. Thanks for listening.